So do you understand now that your teenager is not an old child? He and she are a young, they are a young adult. You should think of a teenager as an adult in training. And your task is to move them on. Today on Focus on the Family, we're continuing a great presentation about parenting preteens and teens featuring Dr. Ken Wilgus. And your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. I'm John Fuller. This is really good stuff. Dr. Ken has been talking about progressively giving more and more responsibility to your child and allowing more freedom so that they can learn how to become competent adults while they're still under your roof. And he's also emphasizing the importance of good communication, which can be a bit different when you're dealing with teenagers. Dr. Ken Wilgus is a psychologist who specializes in adolescent behavior. He's the author of the book, Feeding the Mouth That Bites You, a complete guide to parenting adolescents and launching them into the world. And man, we cannot more highly recommend it. It's a wonderful resource. And here's Dr. Ken Wilgus speaking at an event sponsored by Christ's Church of the Valley in Phoenix, Arizona, on today's episode of Focus on the Family. If you listen to my podcast, one of the episodes, I'm interviewing my own children. Dangerous thing to do. They're like 30 and 20, you know, late 20s. And one of the questions I asked them was, I said, now, as you know, I tell parents not to make speeches. Did I ever make speeches? And all three of them went, oh, yes, Dad, you, you gave speeches. And so I'm grasping at straws, right? So I'm like, okay, but, but were there at least some things in my speeches that were helpful? And my middle girl, the sweet girl, said, and I quote, Daddy, I remember that you made speeches. I don't remember anything you said in any of your speeches. Okay, that's not uh, communicating. Uh, many of you need to learn two things that will be important. One is um, the art of giving advice. Giving advice is mostly what you're trying to do, but you try to crank it up like, listen, listen to me, don't, I, now, I'm telling you, and it sounds like it's coming from here, and an adult that is seeking to be equal to you, it feels like you're talking down. So instead, you take the big pill of what you want to tell them, and you chop off the front and the end. Like I did with one of my kids, I shall not say who, and I said, you know, I know that you're going to break up with your boyfriend by the end of the summer. And I said, but... Um, you know, this is none of my business because you handle your dating fine. It's your deal. But I was just thinking that you're going to be kind of worried about this all summer long. And I just thought maybe it'd be better if you just ended it now. But I'm sorry I even said anything. You know me, I'm a shrink. I probably worry too much. Did you hear me chop off the front and the back? I owned it. I'm only talking about specific. And I definitely signal you can blow me off if you want to broke up with her boyfriend that day. So, you, thank you, you're welcome. <laughs> it does not always work quite like that. The point is that is more effective. Very often when you're worried, you wanna actually crank up. Well, listen, I have lived a few years and, I, and you think that's gonna make it easier for them to hear you, they won't. It, advice giving is very important and you stick with that. Uh, so that's the two things, the not yelling and then the advice giving. So that's how it helps your communication and you need to know that that if you understand that your teenager is an adult in training, if you start with planned emancipation and working openly in your house, we are for your eventual being out from under us, you will not need us, and you're working toward that, then communication opens up hugely. Got it? 
The other thing that will happen is how you discipline your children, your teenagers. Because number one, with communication, you probably will not need as much discipline. But when you do, this is funny, when I talk about um, emancipation, people think I'm kind of like, let them do whatever. But then when I talk about the discipline part, everyone's like, whoa, that's a little rough. Well, when you are saying these are the things that you don't need to answer to me about, then that helps because then when there's things that you do answer to me about and there will be consequences, you need to not kid around about that. You need to set, so in my book, for example, you'll have one list, you'll make two lists. One is a freedoms list where you literally are writing out, you no longer answer to us, use your own judgment in keeping your room however you want, in choosing your old friends, all of these things. And then on the other side of that page is some responsibilities that goes along with that. The second list will be the expectations and consequences list. And those are very clear statements of, for example, uh, you need to be home by 10 p.m. on weekend nights. Uh, and then on the other side is consequences for that. And it's critical that you write that in because if you don't write in consequence, you might as well write in that I'm going to get real mad and yell at you. A lot of you that are yelling at your teenagers is, believe it or not, because you're not pulling the trigger on consequences. Many of you think that by yelling and getting real intense, that helps. It actually makes it worse. You just look like a bully. What's really scary to a teenager is when you smile. I mean, picture it. You know, you're like, hey, Brandon, I need the phone. I need it right now. I'm not giving you my phone. It's my phone. Give me the phone. No, I'm not giving it. Okay. A you run over there and get into some bizarre keep-away fight that might end up with a Child Protective Services on your doorstep, or B, you smile. There's nothing scarier than a parent that's going, really? Not going to give me the phone? He's not going to give me the phone. Because when you discipline your teenagers, you're not trying to control everything. You're no longer a policeman. You're a judge. A policeman has to make sure things happen and bad things don't happen. We've got to monitor. We've got to check all this stuff. You're backing out. Instead, you're a judge. When things happen that go against our, what our expectations are, I will issue a consequence for that. Because here's your real power over your teenager. Ready? You own everything that they have. Everything. I love reminding teenagers of that. Oh, I can't take my Xbox because my grandmother bought that. Really? Um, so if your dad takes your Xbox, who are you going to call? Uh, hello, police? My father took my Xbox. Hello? Hello? That's, it, no, it's yours. And that's powerful. And you need to know that because it helps a lot so that you won't overreact on things that you don't need to. That's real power. So you would instead, in that example, go, okay, not going to give me the phone. I'll tell you what. Um, I'll give you five minutes to have it on the counter, uh, and if you do, you'll only lose it for tomorrow. And then in about 10 minutes, if it's not on the counter, it's going to be three days. And after 10 minutes, just keep it, because I will brick it, and it will be off, and you won't have the phone. Do you hear? That's much more powerful. Many teenagers love to learn. They want to freak you out. If you're this mad, I'm in trouble. But if I can get you this mad, then you'll just go on for an hour and then in two hours you're apologizing and you know, you're arguing with your spouse and, and I'm off free and clear. <laughs> you stay, you're a judge, you're a judge and you let those things come across your desk and you issue consequences. Does that make sense? 
So you first have very clear expectations. Uh, the chores, make them clear. You do trash on Tuesday. I don't know why trash is always our kids' thing, but fine. Tuesday, instead of just take care of the trash, it is by Tuesday and Thursday, it needs to be out at the curb before you leave for school. And if not, you will lose a buck. And then you have to, do, you know, whatever you do, set those consequences for that and do it. Don't do more than that. Don't do less than that. And it's not a, by the way, it's not a contract. Parents, oh, we already tried that. And she wouldn't sign it. They don't need to sign it. This is you promising that if you don't do this, we promise we will do this. And so you do that. When it comes to limit setting, you're a judge, not a policeman, because when you are continually giving over, then you're not trying to be in their life. You're even apologetic. Dude, I am so sorry, but you lost $7 for that little cussing spree yesterday. And I, I, I hate that for you because now you don't have much allowance let, can, left. Can we talk about it? You're, you're not trying to get in there. So many teenagers think, oh, my parents are trying to just... You, you're not. We're trying. We've told you. We are trying to work ourselves out of a job. Because I'll finish with this. If you think about it, many of us are really good parents to children. You know, the age when your kids need to be cuddled and secure, a lot of times they're really cuddleable and cute, and it's not really that hard because you want to do that. Then when they get older, grade school and so forth, they really need to learn things, sometimes sports and skills, and many of us like to do that. I want to get out there and coach and help you, and that's easy. When it gets hard is when your young adult gets to the point where they need to not need you. That's a difficult thing because you don't get anything out of that. Your reward out of that is simply for them. And I think that you believe that you love your children. One of the biggest tests of that is how will you do in this last stage when you will be giving that which does not give back to you because you will teach them to not need you anymore and you'll be out of a job and done. You're listening to Focus on the Family, and today we're featuring the second part of a two-part program featuring Dr. Ken Wilgus. Dr. Wilgus is talking about parenting your teen toward adulthood. In this next segment of our program, Dr. Wilgus is joined by Pastor Dustin Tappan of Christ Church of the Valley as they transition into a time of questions from the audience. All right, so we'll now do some questions to apply a lot of this stuff. Have a seat, sir. Yes. Got questions for you. I'd like you to superimpose the uh, planned emancipation premise over these a little bit and, and help us think practically. Okay. So let's start with dating. Help us understand um, the the dating world and how to have conversations with our kids about dating and what age dating should enter the equation. Say older, please. Say older. And 27. There we go. Okay. That's all. Do you have a daughter? I by do. Any chance? Yeah. I do. Um, just yeah. Roll, roll into the dating world for us. Well, okay. So what you may, you've seen it, but you may not know it. The, the pattern of dating has really gotten chaotic. The standard senior in high school dating pattern is like an eighth grader uh, 30 years ago. So we don't do dates like we used to. It's still going on, but it's, it's very chaotic and, and not as simple to track. However, I will tell you that if you want to um, 
start in the dating thing, the first thing you need to talk to your teenagers about is when will they have the freedom to choose that for themselves. And really, I recommend 16. You can do 17. There's no need to do earlier than that. It really, and I'm talking about when you can go away in a car alone with someone that you're dating. Uh, then 16, I told my kids at 16, uh, you're now, if you want to, you're free to date. I don't recommend it. Because, you know, right? High school dating, oof, anyway. But uh, that's the first thing that always needs to be answered. Is this up to me or is this up to you? And all of these things, if you skip over that, well, I'm not saying it's up to you or me. Let, uh, just let me tell you this, that all is empty then. Whatever you say after that, the first thing is, is this that you're telling me an advice or have to? And once you've made it clear that that's up to you about dating and who you date, then you're much more free to have discussions that are important, like, is that guy, is, I mean, he honks and you go out to the car. He doesn't even come in. Is that, do you like that? And there's a reduced defensiveness about that. You can even, a lot of you dads have your speech that you want to make to a boy. You know, they, dads love that. I'll be holding a shotgun and I'm going to just, you know. Here's the big trick is that it depends exclusively on your relationship with your daughter. If you are close to her and, and she is close to you, number one, then you'll be talking to a boy that she's fine with you talking to him. You don't talk to a boy that she doesn't want you to talk to. And number two, it doesn't matter how scary you are, uh, you want to sound dangerous, you do this. You tell the boy, I'm really hoping y'all have a great time because my daughter and I are very close and we'll be talking about the whole evening. So I hope it goes great. And if that's true, that's scary. That's not fun because, it, so you can't substitute for that. That means for you dads, uh, you really need to start intervening in your daughters as soon as possible, uh, taking them kind of on dates and show them the kind of uh, value that they are. For single parents, it's critical, especially moms, that you also look for good male involvement in your daughter's life. That's a big part of what church is about. Uh, I met with the um, youth workers here. I call them professional cool guys. Don't we have professional cool guys that can intervene with our kids? And they are. They're very cool. They're very aware. And they can really input in your teenagers' lives in something that important. So like anything else, you want to have a conversation. It starts, the first thing is making sure your teenager knows, is this up to me now? Or is it up to you? And when will it be up to me? And then everything else comes easy. Uh, different category. What do we do when our teens don't want to go to church? Yeah, okay. So church would be a thing that uh, is not, no, you have to go. It is not yet. Everything is not yet. So you should have a plan for at some point in your house, they would have the freedom to choose not to go to church. And you need to announce that to them. I suggest senior year, maybe spring of senior year. The answer to why do I have to go to church is because it's what our family does. It happens to be the most important thing in my life, and silly me, we want you to come with us. What you want to emphasize is we get it that you don't agree with us, and you, we can't make you see it this way. And that's really important that you establish early. You could drive home with an 11-year-old even, but start by, hey, we thought today's the lesson, well, teenager for sure. We thought today's lesson was great. What did you think? What? You know, like ask them what they thought about it and certainly give them the message that you are free to think differently from us. 
because that helps them to not make a control battle out of it. But no, I mean, you wouldn't give your kid the freedom to choose not to go to church. Would you give them the freedom to not take algebra? I mean, it's kind of a thing we do, and it's important. So it's that critical, and, it, and you don't have to um, worry about, well, I want it to always be a fun time for them. This is central to our faith. It's to our life. Yeah. I think there is a, like a real fear that exists there that, you know, if, if, if you're normally pushing your kids to get to um, student ministry and be a part of the church, and then they start to push back a little bit, there's a fear that that forcing them is going to um, create in them this, like, anger towards faith or towards the church or towards God. Yeah. That always happens with kids that I can't tell how many kids have told me. I've said, oh, so you're not a Christian? No, don't tell my parents. They'll get mad. Well, that's ridiculous. So most of the time, that kind of forcing is not actually that you had to go along with your family. It is because we felt that we didn't really have the freedom to disagree. So you can say, everyone in the car, this is our atheist. Where is he? Is he coming? And, you know, because that's fine. That's who you are. We cannot change your thoughts. And the inside scoop here is that when you do show them that we understand you have the freedom to disagree, it gives, you cannot say yes to something that you're not allowed to say no to. If you give them the freedom to say no, it's much more likely that they will be prepared and own it themselves. And that's what I started with. You can't afford to have kids that obediently, passively just do the religion thing. You need to be asking them, what do you think? Where are you in this? Uh, and making sure they know that they're free to tell you. All right, last, last category. This is your time to shine. You've got your soapbox. You want to pontificate about um, isolation. Is, yes. There is role. a thing that he even asked me, is there a thing you really want? Yes. So bear with me. My biggest concern for your teenagers is isolation. I cannot believe in 30 years how what's happened to social relationships. I even have to explain the importance of friendships. I have to explain this to girls. You never had to explain. That's what drama is, you know? Girl drama. She came in, tried to steal my best friend. That's just good stuff of connection. And girls have always known that. Now, even many of our girls are losing that. And it's funny because before COVID, I taught something like this, and, and I had a slide. I looked at it. This is five years ago. I'm concerned about the pandemic of isolation. That was before COVID. And now I'm really concerned that you need, first of all, you need to be connected. I hope that you're connected in your church and with your people that you live around and real friends. Because I can't imagine, and you can't believe how many families come to see me and they don't go anywhere and they don't know anybody. And their teenager knows nobody. Or, or worse, and here's the thing, I want you to encourage your teenagers to really focus in on the one or two people that they really feel closest to and stick with that person. I had a girl in college I was talking to just the other day and she said something about her friends. I said, well, what about Stephanie? She goes, yeah, no, we don't talk anymore. And I said, wait, she was your best friend six months ago. You don't just not talk to her. You need to go talk to her. I said, you're living a life like a, a sitcom and you're in the third season and all the supporting cast have shifted and you're still playing the part of you. You need to, and she did. She, I said, best friends go and talk things through. 
and she did. So I would encourage you to, not groups, your teenagers will be very discouraged if they're you know, seeing uh, snaps from they're all out and I'm not. But you don't make friends with a group. You do make friends with one or two people that you're close to. And by the way, guys and girls can't be best friends. I don't want to even argue that. It's just true. But, um, but the one or two friends, and encourage them to stick with that. I don't even care if you don't like that friend. It is important that if they have shared that intimacy, that connection, that you really encourage them to do that. Because I mean it, as you can tell, I'm a little bit It worries the heck out of me that we are isolated. Our teenagers blink and look down and they don't even know how to shake my hand. It's critical, you know, that's a huge part of our faith. It's part of whatever the entire depth of when Jesus says, when two or more of you are gathered in my name, I am there. Why two? What about just me? It's critical that the body of Christ isn't us. And so that, that's my soapbox. Let's really try to encourage your kids, your teenagers, to get out there and connect. And last thing, over the, uh, over the internet is not really being there. Uh, Dr. Willis, I get with my friends every afternoon. You do? Where do you meet? Uh, uh, we play Call of Duty. No, no, dude. A headset and a screen is not there. And you know what they'll do? They'll go, what? It, they, never do they go, good point. They literally don't even know. I have to explain. This is three-dimension. I'm here, and you're here. It's, it's, so it's really important that you try to encourage that as best you can because COVID has even added, especially our marginally anxious kids that never really like getting out there anyway, push it. Get them out there as best you can um, because the isolation is, is really worrisome to me. Yeah. Could you just, um, you said something to me talking about how our parents today put so much pressure on yes. themselves. And um, you, you said something that was really encouraging in there about us being, we're better at it than we think we are. Yes. You guys are put, like, that's good to finish with. I guarantee you, virtually all of you are doing better than you think. There's so much pressure. Uh, parenting was not a word when I was growing up. My parents did a good job of raising us. They never thought about going to a parenting class. They just raised their children. Like raising livestock, you just raise them and you just sell them off. It was just, you're done. But there's so much microscopic focus on are we doing it right? So much, you know, are we helping the neurons to connect? Just take it easy. You're probably doing fine. It's not math. It's more like sailing. You're trying to get to that goal and you tack this way and you tack that way and you get there. So I definitely want to tell you that. And it's a good goal, at the very least, just think about are you a better father than your father? Are you a better mother than your mother? And for many of you, that's an easy one. Like, yeah, you know, for some of us, it's not. My dad was a very cool guy, and I think so, but that's it. You don't have to fix everything all of a sudden. Just you're doing fine. You're doing, and especially as Christians, it is our privilege to participate. It is not up to us. God would never leave our children up to us. I mean, no offense, but it really. So, yeah, I'm glad you reminded me. That's important. Um, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for being here, guys. Uh, give Dr. Ken a, a big round of applause. So helpful. So thankful. Our thanks to Pastor Dustin Tappan of Christ Church of the Valley in Phoenix, Arizona, for allowing us to share the event that they hosted featuring Dr. Ken Wilgus. Yeah, and that sounded like a great workshop for parents in their area. Well done. And I'm sure many of the attendees were encouraged by the advice they received. I'm sure that was the case, Jim, um, and it really is a tricky time when you've got teens in the home, but I love the approach that we've heard today. 
On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team here, thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller. I've really enjoyed the program over the last two days. We've got two teenagers in the home now, and so this has been so helpful to me. I appreciated the tips and examples on such a range of topics. If you missed part of today or yesterday, I really encourage you to go to our website or podcast or our Focus Africa app and listen there and share this content with those you know who could benefit. We're a nonprofit ministry and we're determined to provide helpful biblical resources to parents. Just one example is the evaluation tool we've developed called the Seven Traits of Effective Parenting Assessment. It's free and it'll help you discover your strengths as a parent and also identify areas where you may need a little work. After completing the quiz, you'll be directed to articles and other resources that will help you grow as a parent. Here's one endorsement from a mom named Ruth. She said, I took your parenting assessment online and I was surprised to see that I scored lower on grace and forgiveness. I thought those were easy for me, but in reality, they're not. I'm looking forward to focusing on these areas of weakness and letting God do a work in me. Thank you for the insights and resources. So go ahead and make use of this tool. This is the most important job in your life, raising your kids, I think. So come and visit the website, get started. You'll find it at safamily.co.za. While you're online, you'll also see that we're about to complete our tour of parenting events with Rob Parsons and Catherine Hill. We're in Pretoria tonight at Choose Life Church and tomorrow at Levendervoort. The title of the main event is What Every Parent Has to Know, Bringing Up Kids in a Changing World. I hope to see you there. For Focus on the Family Africa, I'm Graham Schnell, inviting you to join us next time when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. 